And I think a lot of people, no matter where you are, they do want to help. You don't have to give them money, but if you just give them a good feeling at the end of it, then they feel fulfilled that their opinion was heard and that their opinion mattered. So if you make people feel important, they'll do a lot for you. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Today we have Michael Saka, who's the president of Crew.co. So what it does is it basically connects you with vetted freelancers or designers for hire with over a 99% on-time completion rate. Michael, how's it going? I'm great. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on here. Yeah, thanks for being here. So yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Right. So I mean, I, you described it well, right? President of Crew. Uh, Crew connects freelancers with with vetted projects. We we really try to bring quality into the marketplace and build trust between project owners and freelancers, where notoriously sometimes there hasn't always been inside of the freelance economy. So um, I ran a small agency out of San Diego for five years. We worked with clients like GE, Scholastic, Nike. Uh, and then when I stepped away from that, crew was kind of a natural fit where I really wanted to get into a startup, but I could still use a lot of the expertise expertise that I had from running an agency um, inside of a startup. And so I started with crew about two years ago. And now since we've split uh, crew and Unsplash, I stepped into the president's role. Got it. And what is Unsplash? Unsplash is a basically free stock for photography website. And so uh, photographers submit their work. People go there and they can use this Creative Commons covered photography um, in anything that they want. So it's it's like a free shutterstock.com. Awesome. So you guys, okay, so you had the agency and then you moved into crew. And then, you know, where did the idea for Unsplash come from? So early on when there were just four people, um, Mikkel he was looking for different side projects to do to boost crew. And so we found they did a photo shoot for crew kind of part of their marketing. And they had this B roll that looked pretty good. And so he put it up on a Tumblr blog and let people download it for free. Someone put it on hacker news and it just, it, it blew up. So that the first day they had over 10,000 um, downloads of these 10 images. And then they had people writing in saying, will you feature mine next? And so it was a very natural evolution uh, of of a product into the marketplace. And so from there, we've always kept it as like kind of a separate project. There was always dedicated resources to Unsplash and to Crew. Uh, But Unsplash has just been growing 30% month over month. The team has been doing phenomenal work. And so that's when we realized it was time that we can't share a CEO anymore. Um, Mikel really needed to be focused on that full time. Got it. Okay. So you got, you got, so agency moved over to crew, crew started to do well, and then Unsplash started to do well. And then you guys knew that you had to focus in order to make both of these things grow well on their own. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's really what they needed was dedicated uh, time and attention. 
Got it. Okay. And so how's crew doing today? We're great. I mean, we're, we're growing, we're growing at a steady pace. Last year we did a 4.3 GMV. Um, so there, there is money coming through the pipeline. Um, what is, uh, what's GMV? Gross merchandise volume. Um, and so because we're a marketplace, we're always balancing, uh, both sides. And, uh, and so we're, we're growing at a, at a steady pace, but what we realized was that the business model behind crew is a marketplace, uh, and the business model behind unsplash is a question mark. And so it made sense to start funding them in different ways. And that that was really the inspiration behind the split was crew needs to raise money at its own valuation and Unsplash needs to raise money at its own valuation. Got it. And so to date, both companies have raised money. So to date, as a a whole, we've raised 11 million at a 30 million valuation. But now we we kind of take that valuation and break it down. And we're not quite sure where, where where the pieces lie yet. But we'll be taking that valuation and dividing it between the two companies. Got it. Okay. So tell us about the, some of the challenges of building a marketplace that you faced. Right. So it's supply and demand, uh, and they're both always in flux. And so with with Crew, people come to us, they need a, a website or an app or an MVP, and we match them with a freelancer. Now, now the challenge is we don't have a set. We're not selling a product that we've we've, you know, printed or or had a physical product that we've had made or even a SaaS recurring where it's always the same product. So we have these custom requests that come in and then we match them with someone from our network. But the network, people are are available, they're not available, you know, a bit like an Uber, right? Um, but for for very talented, for a very talented job. So the, the challenge is always to keep both sides of the pipeline filled. Um, so that you always have someone to do the work coming in and you always have new work coming in so that people on the platform can stay busy. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. So a lot of people that listen to this, they are, you know, aspiring agency owners or they are agency owners as well. So, you know, for you, you to have, you know, clients like GE and things like that, you know, how was the agency doing before you decided to step away? Because I know some people, you know, agency is really good cash flow and they use that cash flow to fund other things. And some people will shut the agency down. So I'm just, I'm just wondering where you were at before you decided to go in a separate direction. Yeah, so the agency cash flow is great. We were doing really well. Personally, I had gotten very interested in startups. And one thing from the agency, I, I, I started off as a designer. And I really wanted to not just do the first iteration of a project, but the second, third, and fourth and continue to make it better. Um, so we started building projects inside of the agency. We built one Brandisty, which was recently acquired, but at the time it was a platform where you can help distribute your design or your, uh, branding assets. So you'd upload your, your vector file and then we'll convert it into a JPEG or a PNG in whatever size that you need whenever someone needs to request your logo. So it was, a, it was a brand storage platform and we invested a lot a lot of our money into it. And, you know, in the end, we didn't have a lot of cash left over. Um, and the, the product didn't pick up at the pace that we really needed it to. And it was really a decision of do we do we continue to do the agency or do we go all in on on this one project? And uh, and that, that's what we did. We took the risk and it doesn't always quite work out as you want. Did you guys just sell the agency or did you guys just shut it down and decide to put all your chips in the middle for crew? Well, no. So crew, the agency and crew are different. I'm the president of crew, not the founder. So the, the agency, I, I stepped away from the agency and, and I let the people who were running it continue. 
I, I kind of took my experience to crew when Mikel reached out and he had an opportunity to run our partnerships and sales. And so, um, yeah, so that's kind of, I, I personally stepped away because we had, we, we hadn't kind of turned the corner in terms of developing a product that would, that would have enough revenue to pay us. And at that point I wasn't ready to continue to do the agency kind of grind. What were the ballpark revenues for the agency? You'd have to give it an exact number. I think this would be helpful for people that are looking to make this kind of transition. Yeah, we did about half a million a year, and we invested about 150000 into kind of that flagship project over the course of about a year and a half. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's a lot of people that are like, yeah, we're going to use the cash flows to, to build a product and then, you know, eventually kind of, you know, slowly shut the agency down, which is kind of what you guys were trying to do, but didn't yeah. work out that way. It just, yeah, it didn't. I mean, the product was only generating like $1,000 a month after about a year, year and a half, which isn't terrible, but it wasn't enough to to really warrant investing more money into it after we had put out that much. We had basically aggressively saved and then aggressively spent. And um, that's the risk you take, though, in business. Let's talk a little bit about the, the podcast. So why did you decide to start a podcast and what has it done for you so far? I started the podcast because we had launched Brandisty and we realized we had no idea what we were doing, or I realized we had no idea what we were doing. And I wanted to go talk to people who did or who were successful, who had success. And the best way at the time I found was to give them an outlet and and basically use a lot of those calls where we're asking for advice, but record them and put them out there for promotion. And uh, and so it was a win-win for both parties where a lot of the people that we interviewed in the early days probably wouldn't have picked up my phone call. But given that it was on a media platform, they were willing to talk. And so we got some really fantastic advice in those early days. Um, and then we continue to um, as we still produce it. I read a blog post, I think it was on Medium, about how you took 167 podcasts and wrote it to a launch or, you know, kind of it helped you with ideation. So that's that's I mean, is there anything else you'd like to add around that? Oh, no. So that was 167 customer interviews. So when we launched uh, Brandisty, we, we did 167 customer interviews to learn and inform our product um, and what we were building. Yeah, I mean, that really helped us kind of determine what we were going to build, what problem in the market that we were solved. Some of the things that we got wrong were our price point. And so let's talk a little bit about customer acquisition. So how did you guys go about acquiring, let's just say, your first thousand customers? Yeah, so a lot of it was writing. So a lot of it was content driven. And then a lot of it was cold reach outs. So I, I've never shied away from a sales process. And so a lot of it was finding creative directors and um, designers that were working in larger organizations. We used that, it was that 167 calls where I, I had everyone from our team um, do a minimum of 10 calls a week that they would to do that customer discovery. And then on Fridays, we would bring people into the office to have them test out the prototypes of what we were building. So we actually see how they interacted with it and see see their expression. And so that that was that was how we got to the the 167. Those were also a lot of our early customers would, you know, they watched the product development, we listened to their feedback, we built what they wanted, and then in the end they purchased once we launched. What's like the content of these calls when you're talking to these 167 people? In this I learned about jobs to be done. And, and kind of that framework of asking questions, which is to, you, you're really not asking like, is my product good? But you're asking what problem do you have and how can I solve it? 
And so it's asking questions about their day, about their pain points, about their processes around very specific things like ours was branding. So how do you, you know, deal with brand changes and how do you update a brand for a client when they roll a new brand out and how does the client interact with press and, and to see if there were pain points along that where they might groan or they, you know, they, they, they would express a frustration. And we knew that that was a point where we could build a solution and sell. So those were the type of things that we were looking for was when do people struggle with brand distribution? And so for us, uh, it was incredibly helpful. You know, I think in the end, we priced it way too low to get to a thousand. We were at like an average price point of $25 a month. And most of the damn solutions start at $500 a month. And so we were, we were way low in the market for what people were willing to spend. Getting these people to actually come into the office to, to actually, you know, have to get ready and all that to, to come in. Like, what did you offer them? Did you offer them like free lunch or something? I'm just wondering how that process <laughs> I mean, looks. Yeah, yeah. We always had beer. A lot of them were kind of our friends. We were in San Diego. So San Diego is a big agency town. Um, so there's a lot of designers, a lot of a lot of agency folk that we were friendly with. And so, you know, it was more just like come down Friday, have a beer, you know, three o'clock and and we're going to run through this, this, uh, I want you to run through our new prototype. People were really usually willing to help out, especially because we weren't saturated with startups in San Diego. Um, so it, it was, it was very much seen as, oh, this is cool. Like I want to help these people. And I think a lot of people, no matter where you are, they do want to help you don't have to give them money, but if you just give them a good feeling at the end of it, then they feel fulfilled that their opinion was heard and that their opinion mattered. So if you make people feel important, they'll do a lot for you. Love it. Okay. And are you guys, you guys aren't in San Diego right now, right? No. So um, crew is based out of Montreal. I, I moved back to Vegas and I just moved to Montreal two months ago. Love it. Love Montreal. Actually love both cities. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's working for you guys nowadays in terms of customer acquisition? Like what's one most effective thing that you'd point to? Yeah. So I, I think the one thing to point out that is in the life cycle of a business now, crew, we're three years in, you hit plateaus, right? So in the beginning, content worked really well for us. And then we built tools like Unsplash and how much to make an app. And, and all of those channels plateau at a certain point, right? And you can continue to put effort into it, but the effort becomes kind of a negative return. So you just, you maintain and you move on. So now we're, we're focused on really piggybacking on a lot of the content and the distribution that we've had into SEO and, and search and, or, or search, uh, like search engine marketing. And so that's, that's where we're really focusing right now because we've built up the domain authority through all that content and the link backs that we've been able to build up. And now we can, we can actually rank in the search engine, very targeted keywords. So this isn't something that we could have done at the very beginning. We needed content to get here, but that's that's what we're focused on right now. And, and it's working. We're able to get in the top 10, sometimes in the top five very easily by just putting up targeted landing pages and, and, and doing, you know, doing some internal linking. Yeah, people tend to forget about the importance, like this, this SEO stuff still works. You, you have a strong domain authority. It's like you say, like you put up other pages, you don't, you just start to rank all of a sudden. It's not like you need to go like all in on those pages. Sometimes they just do really well. And yeah, you can point a couple links at them to give them more strength, but people tend to forget about it and just try to go all in on paid ads and, you know, SEO goes to the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, paid ads, I think is where you can learn. Um, so we're using paid ads to learn the strategy for SEO. Right. So we can actually get traffic to those landing pages right now 
and then and then work on the conversion. And then the SEO is the long strategy. Once we get up there, it's a lot easier to stay there. But we also know that when we get up there, it's going to be effective for us because if if it works for for paid, it'll work for um, organic as well. And so we kind of use those two side by side. Um, but again, like if we had started out doing SEO, I don't know how effective it would be. You know, we need that domain authority to do it right and tastefully where we're not like spam link building, um, which is what a lot of a lot of companies end up turning to when they really want to invest in SEO. Tell us about one big struggle you faced while growing crew. The hardest thing I think is always hiring, hiring good people, finding good people. It's a constant process in how do we bring people on? How many interviews do we do? What do we ask in the interview? And how can we tell that when we bring someone on and we invest in them, um, that they're going to be a good fit? They're going to be happy. We're going to be happy. So we've struggled a lot with remote people. I think there's a like a rom- romantic vibe around being remote. Uh, it's not for everybody. And what we found is that we found a lot of really good people, a lot of really capable people. But Remote isn't a good fit always for them because they don't feel that that team connection, right? Because really you get together once a year, maybe a couple other times throughout the year for for smaller trips, but it's it's tough. And so it takes it takes a certain mentality to do it. And so we we've tried to to identify like who's really gonna gonna thrive in a remote culture and and who's not. And it, it's not to say anything good or bad about people. I think everyone's just a little bit different and they have different needs when they go to work. Yeah, so how do you identify that? Because, you know, we have great remote people and then, you know, there's some people that we have in person that, you know, probably wouldn't work out for, for them to go remote. So I'm just wondering, like, what are the key things you look at to figure out if somebody's capable or not for remote? So I think the biggest thing for remote that I've seen is, are, are you kind of proactive or reactive? And so if you're reactive, where, where you're really looking for continual direction, uh, I think being in an office environment is, is beneficial because you can get those directions faster. Um, but if you're proactive, remote does seem to work really well. And so it's, it's a hard thing to test for, but you know, certain questions that, that we ask, I mean, obviously, have you ever worked remote? And then you try to kind of get an idea from their background and their experience so far. Were they just a participant in some of these these endeavors or were they kind of the catalyst to the endeavor? We're really looking for those people that are catalysts. Um, we also do a one month trial. So we get to, to work before we bring on officially, we make an official offer. We do a one month trial. So we get to work with them in a remote manner. It sounds like you're definitely looking for, you know, proven people that have that have worked well in remote, first of all. And then the second thing for the trial, I, I you know, we do the trial, we might do like a week or so, but, you know, to do a month, you know, my question would be, how do you make that happen? You know, if they do have a full-time job, do they work, you know, during the evenings? How does that look? Oh, yeah. So people leave, you know, it's, it's a, it's a risk, right? So we're, it, it doesn't allow us to, I guess, give a guarantee if someone's leaving their current position, but it, that's just what we found works the best for us. Um, as a company, and often we're talking to people who don't currently have a, a job, recently left their job. It, it is, it's risky, uh, but there's no, we haven't found a better solution yet. And I'm not saying it's the right one. I don't know, but it's hard when you can't like, when you don't see what the good time is. And like, so at night, you know, it's not your good time. And so it's hard to judge. And, and I'm not sure if it's always fair to judge that time. On the other side of things, how old are you right now? 34. 34. Okay. What's one piece of advice you'd give to your, let's say, 24-year-old self? 
<laughs> to worry a lot less. I stress out a lot, you know, financials, money, especially being a freelancer um, and not really knowing always what the next step is. And and the one thing is things do seem to work out. They're not always the way that you want them to. They're not always the way that you plan. But, you know, even freelancing for five years, building a small agency, having to kind of, you know, eat what you kill, so to speak, in the in the consulting and agency world into crew. Uh, none of this is what I necessarily would have expected. I would uh, just give myself a little bit of relief <laughs> in, the, in that worry. When you set one foot in front of the other, amazing things do happen. They just don't always happen according to the plan that you write down at the beginning. And I think, you know, oftentimes I would want to write the whole plan before taking that first step. And, and that's largely unnecessary. What's one new tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot of value? So it could be like Evernote, it could be like a Fitbit or whatever. At Crew, we started using, we were using Periscope data. And now we're using this cool company, um, Clipfolio. And it's like a fraction of the price, but it solves that data problem for us. It's really easy to hook into our Google Analytics, but then also get all of our personal analytics from our, our right straight out of our database into it. And we're able to to set up like cohort analysis and um, even sales analysis per teammate. So we can see, you know, how we're doing, how we're doing per cohort, just amazing stuff that we never had access to before. And uh, I think it's like $100 a month. Whereas, you know, you look at Looker, you're looking at like 35000 a year and more. And Periscope was 500 a month. So that, that was a fantastic professional tool that we recently added. And this is spelled with the, it starts with a K, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, let me see. It's Clipfolio. We'll drop it in the show notes. I've seen it a couple yeah, of times. Yeah, Clipfolio. Fantastic. Really, really powerful. And the, the price point is great for smaller teams. Awesome. I'm going to add an add-on question because I, I have a feeling you'd have a good answer for this. So what's one must, uh, what's one tool you can't live without every day? So it could be like a dropletter, for example. So the obvious one is Slack, right? We're all on Slack every day. <laughs> um, but I find myself, I find myself these days, uh, I'm in Excel spreadsheets, which is like the lamest answer. But when you run the company, you have to run the numbers. And Dude, I'm so the same Google way, Sheets, man. When Google you get older, Sheets that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm in I'm in Google Sheets all day with our with our financials and our projections, and um, we forget how powerful like a CSV or an Excel document is. The stuff it can do, I haven't seen anyone be able to replace it. And it's so simplistic. It's so well, not simplistic, but it's it's like rudimentary, right? At this point, for a computer to have some kind of spreadsheet program. But the power of it is is absolutely incredible. And I know that's like probably not what people are looking for, but... Love it. Okay. What's one book that you'd recommend to everyone? So one of my favorite books ever, being a designer, is The Social History of the Machine Gun. I it, it It's a book, it makes you think about the things that we create and the impact on humans and civilization. And, you know, so when you look at the history of the machine gun, you look at you know, all the lives that, that were suddenly you were able to take very quickly on the battlefield that used to be a much more uh, labor intensive effort. And with all of, you know, obviously the machine gun, now we have nuclear and, and atomic, but it, it really is a testament to what we create as humans and what we bring into the world and the impact that, that it can have on our lives. Wow. That's deep. I mean, first of all, I mean, well, when you first said, I was like, it must, must be some deep title, but it literally is about the machine gun. <laughs> Yes, no, no, it literally is. Yeah, yeah. But the thought process behind why we develop it, 
is I think when when we're in business, it's usually not as critical as that. But, you know, when we look at the extreme example, it's it makes you think about what we're building today and is it better? Right. And I, I think for us, it's the conversation around AI and, and robots and jobs, right, and automation. You know, we can build those. We can go there. But what is the impact on society and how do we solve it? Right. Because the bigger problem isn't automation. The bigger problem is how do we get people to eat? But uh, those things, I think, are, are interesting to think about. And in the tech community, we do have it's now it's now in our court to solve some of those problems. Right. OK, well, Mike, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter, Michael Saka, um, or just shoot me an email, Michael at crew.co. All right, awesome. And everyone make sure to check out his podcast as well. It's rocketship.fm. So Mike, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week, and remember to take action and continue growing.